0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Speaking of the Arts. I want to wish everybody a happy holiday season and a happy new year. I hope 2018 has been a great one for you. I couldn't be more excited for today's guest. I had the opportunity to speak with our very own Fred Hirsch, whom I've had the privilege of working with for several years now. Fred is currently nominated for two Grammy Awards, making him a 14-time Grammy nominee, so I think we can all agree it's time for Fred to finally win one. Our conversation covers all sorts of things with Fred's career, and I found it fascinating. I hope you do, too. As always, thank you guys so much for listening, and now, please enjoy my conversation with Fred. Fred, welcome to the show. So you're a 14-time Grammy-nominated artist now, and I think I'm wondering, who do we have to pay off to make sure you finally win this time?
1: Yeah, um, (laughs) somebody referred to me as the Susan Lucci of the Jazz Grammys. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, she was nominated for an Emmy, a f- daytime Emmy, for her work on the soap operas, and she won on the 19th try. So, we'll sort of see how it
0: goes this year. I, but it would be I nice hope you don't to have bring to bring one home. I know. I, I hope it doesn't have to be five more times after this. That seems ridiculous. Yes, yes. You know. So, but just to highlight it for people listening, you, um, you're nominated, you have two nominations this year. Um uh, best jazz instrumental album live in Europe and then best improvised jazz solo on the tune we see and you know like I said if I knew the right people to contact I certainly would have done it probably several years ago when we first started working together because it's been an annual occurrence this time of year for your nominations and everybody waits with faded breath uh, through the new year and lo and behold it hasn't happened yet so my gut tells me it will happen I hope soon
1: Yes. Yes. That would be be (laughs) lovely.
0: That would be lovely. Take home some heart. I know. So so well-deserved, too. Thank you. So, you know, Fred, you and I have been working together for a long time now, and it's been uh, one of the most rewarding things I could have ever thought to do, and I'm so grateful for our relationship. I never in a million years would have thought I'd been able to become – Uh, Close to you as a friend, as a business partner, as your agent, and um, I'm constantly learning from you. And I maybe to kind of frame things from your perspective, I'm really curious you know, um, you've seen this style of music, jazz. You've seen it go from a situation where musicians could find good work multiple nights a week, multiple sets each night, multiple sets, um, multiple nights a week throughout the year, and now it's shifted, sadly, to a situation where we have a lot of performing arts series who will do a handful, and I should say a really small handful of jazz shows each year, which are subsidized, and then we have festivals that are sponsored. How do you think about all this in the context of your career? I mean, what does the scene really need now to shift to a more positive environment where there's more opportunity, or is that even possible?
1: Well, um, I've been playing jazz professionally for now 45 years, and in the beginning, uh, the, back in Cincinnati, when uh, we played gigs, there was never a piece of music, there weren't even music stands. You just basically played the tunes, you had to know know the tunes, um, uh, there was no rehearsals you know you just showed up and people say what do you feel like playing kind of kind of thing it was very casual and then uh when i moved to new york and was a sideman especially during my uh, 20s uh uh, until i started uh, making my own recordings at 30 um yeah we would uh, uh i would be playing with uh uh, an artist like Art Farmer, and that would be, you know, uh, on a good year, 20 weeks of work. Uh, we'd play two weeks at Sweet Basil's in New York three times a year. Um, and more clubs were booking six-night gigs. You could go to Chicago and play six nights. or um, And we didn't do as many concerts. It was mostly clubs. In Europe it was concerts. Um and, you know in the uh early eighties, uh you know, the institutionalization of jazz kind of started, uh, places like jazz at Lincoln Center. Um and uh also the there you know, the jazz education thing um, began to really be a, a big deal uh when when i went to the new england conservatory in 75 it was only one of maybe five or six places in the country that even really recognized jazz uh at a collegiate conservatory level and of course now you have jazz programs everywhere and tons of young gifted musicians who are trying to make their way um, and you know there there are really great things as uh uh for me about uh, the changes, uh, you know, I'm playing on really nice pianos and really great situations and often really beautiful concert halls at universities and performing arts centers and, you know, still doing clubs sometimes. Um, I, 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 I think that, you know, as, uh, Buddha says, change is inevitable. And, I'm, uh, you know, I, I don't work as many nights a year, but, um, you know, I'm not doing $100 gigs either. So, you know, that was my life for many years was, were those kinds of gigs, local gigs. There were tons of little places in New York and, and, and elsewhere. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a mixed blessing um it's it's sometimes hard to find the opportunities but the 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 conditions are great and the uh, audiences are really there because they want to be there and they're responsive and um and I love doing the university gigs sometimes I get a master class and get to work with uh younger musicians and and I and the trio really enjoy that so there's
0: some definitely upsides. Yeah, I want to kind of jump around here a little bit um, out of order, not chronologically by any means, but just to kind of, for people who aren't really aware, when you kind of came up, and you just mentioned playing with Art Farmer, I think it's important that people are aware of some of the other figures that you played with. And on a personal level, I'm personally interested uh in those figures but more specifically for you is there anything when you think back to those early at early decade or however long that period would have been um anything that you picked up from some of those artists that you still think about today that you try to i don't know whether it's a technical thing or whether it's being a band leader or anything you know any of the above i'm kind of curious what you learned from some of those figures
1: oh c- certainly i mean you know from from uh a guy like Art Farmer who had a really diverse book of of material. Uh you know, I learned about programming sets. Um I also learned a lot about programming sets from working with singers, you know, really good singers who knew how to structure a a set so that it had a narrative. I think some musicians don't really know how to do that. And I think that's it's kind of a can be an art form. Um from Joe Henderson, uh, who I played with on and off for almost 10 years, uh, he, you know, playing with him, I, I call, you know, going to graduate school. It was just, he was one of the all-time great tenor players and so creative and just, I I still think about him. And uh, one uh, one thing that he said that stuck with me um Joe played uh, extremely long solos and from the first time I played with him at certain times I would just stop. I would just get a feeling to stop during his solo and it wasn't anything that he did or said or, you know, I just got the vibe like I should just let him go and then I would just get a feeling to come back in and I'd done this for, you know, four or five years and one night we were at the Village Vanguard and I said, Joe, you know, this thing where I... I lay out behind your solos, you know uh, is that cool? he said he said, uh, if you feel it, it's right. If you think it, it's probably not right, and I thought mm-hmm. that was significant that he didn't say it's wrong he mm-hmm. said that it's not right and and you know uh similarly i when I was playing with Stan Getz one night, and I was not happy with my playing and Stan was a complicated person but he I was in the dressing room and I was you know kind of out of sorts and he actually said uh, you know what's up and I said oh I feel like I'm stale I'm playing the same stuff he said well did you play one thing different tonight than you did last night I said I'm sure I did and he, he said well if you if you really internalize that one thing that aha moment then, uh, think of if that happens, you know, once a day or once a week, think of what you learn in a year. And I thought that was a really, uh, excellent thing to say, like that you don't have to reinvent the wheel, uh, every time you play. So, um, yeah, I mean, I learned from, from everybody that I played with, both instrumentalists and vocalists. Uh, it was, uh, it's, it was all educational.
0: At what point, and this is probably a, I don't know if we want to go down this rabbit hole or not, but you've got me thinking back to when I was in music school, and uh, specifically when we're talking about jazz music and the history of it and the lineage of it and tracing back um, the famous players, you know, learning, for me as a drummer, the difference between Philly Joe Jones and Max Roach and and how they would approach the musicians that they played with, et cetera, et cetera, and then a huge part of it is transcription and transcribing how they would keep time, how they would comp behind solos, how they would do, how they would do their own solos and phrasing and everything like that. I think my question is, because this is something that even though I don't perform anymore, I always think about, you get, there's a certain point specific to this music where there's this, I don't know if you want to call it a dilemma, but you, I feel like students struggle with this where they they can spend a lifetime trying to sound like insert your favorite uh, musician or they can try and find quote their own voice. And I'm wondering, I'm just taking advantage of uh, the time we have right now. I'm wondering on a personal level, did you ever think about that? Did you ever consciously start to think, what is the Fred Hirsch sound? How am I going to develop that? Um, I'd love to hear what, how you think about those things.
1: Yeah. Um I n I never transcribed. Um that was not a thing that anybody I knew did. Um I never took jazz piano lessons except uh when I went to New England and studied with Jackie Byard and but I'd already been playing professionally for a year or two, so um and uh um, so I'm I'm not uh you know, I, I didn't. You know, I mean, the way that I learned learned it because it, when I started out, I didn't have a teacher. Was, you know, I would just listen to a certain pianist. You know, like for weeks at a time, I would only listen to Ahmad Jamal, or I would only listen to Herbie Hancock, or I would only listen to Earl Hines, or Paul Blay, or and and then I would just, you know try to kind of in, imitate them uh, inexactly. I might play a, t- a tune that they had played and try to see if I could kind of, you know, imitate them. Uh, but especially to imitate their sound, uh, which is probably the most noticeable thing, facet about my playing, or one of them, is the sound I get out of the piano. It's, I think it's different um, than anybody else's. Um, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, other people have their own sound, but I definitely have my own sound. It's not just the notes, it's the, the actual tone. Um, and I've, I, I've heard, you know, recordings of me at age, you know, my age 20, 21, 22. Um, and I already had kind of a a thing going um, using, you know, kind of contrapunnel uh, stuff in my left hand was more active than a lot of uh, pianists, and uh, also the way that I approached chords and um, harmony. Um, uh, you know, I, I I really see the beginnings of that, and uh, um, uh, I you know I I maybe because I kind of learned at first without any guidance. I kind of found things that i that that I liked and and of course hopefully i've I've gotten better at it uh and things i've I've added over the years, but it wasn't it wasn't like you know it wasn't a conscious thing I just kind of did things my own way I'm kind of stubborn mm. and, uh you know some of the Guys that I played with back in the day, the older guys, I'd say, oh, what are you playing? That's too much stuff, blah, 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 blah. And I, and I, and I just, you know, I kind of let it go in one ear and out the other. And I just kind of stuck to my guns. And I think my career is a testament to just sticking to what I believe in and, um, the values uh, that I believe in in music and just, just staying with that, you know, like the title of my memoir, Good Things Happen Slowly, just, just, uh, uh, I've had a long and slow build in my career, um, you know, and it's bigger now in my sixties, um, you know, than, you know, I mean, it's just been, it just has kept building. So
0: I'm super grateful, uh, for that. Yeah, yeah, I I could listen to you talk about this all day. I mean, I wonder if because there are so many opportunities for students to take lessons, whether it's with somebody in person, whether it's online, you know what I mean, whether it's a book, et cetera, et cetera, all these resources now that were not available to you as a student, do you, with your own students, is there situations where you find them, Coming to you and immediately having the attitude of, I want, I'm trying to do my own thing. I don't want to sound like anybody else. I'm not going to study anybody else. Or is there a more of a healthy mix of it? I guess I'm, I just, I'm so fascinated by the idea of how one, especially in this music, develops their sound. And I think everybody would agree with what you were saying. You have a very recognizable sound. It's a very recognizable touch. It's a tone that I don't hear from any other pianists and we'll talk about this later, but how that translates to your trio, which will be celebrating its 10th anniversary. So anyway, um, you don't have to dwell on it too long, but, but I, I am curious when you give private lessons, how do you kind of guide students on this idea of their sound? Or is it not something that you push at all and just kind of address what they're, they're asking you about?
1: Well, um, you know, uh, Whenever I have a student, the first thing I do is look at their physical relationship to the piano and how they're getting sound and whether they're working too hard or um, it's like sort of an embouchure, like a woodwind player. You know, you're, the way that you approach the piano uh, in a friendly way, not in the way that you're beating it into submission. Um, uh, you know, I've been lucky to teach some amazingly gifted students uh Sullivan Fortner and Brad Meldau and Ethan Iverson and Dan Tepfer and um, many many others and you know when you're dealing with a super talented person you know uh I try to really help them you know uh if they come in and play something it's like okay okay well why what what's you know I, I help them try to c- connect to what they're playing and uh sometimes it's mentoring you know just you know mentoring about uh the music or their career or sometimes you know even you know their personal uh personal things uh but you know i love teaching you know uh t- technique um i'm not an information driven teacher i don't say okay take these and learn this in 12 keys or this is uh you know i don't do chords and scales, and you know, this is how you, you know, you know, and and um, I think the flaw in jazz education now is you know, this people have so much information, but what's missing is you know, okay, so you have this information, it's like you have a big vocabulary, uh, but can you tell a story with it, you know, not not uh. I mean that's that's the main thing can you can you tell a story so that's that's what I also try to to work on is like okay, how are you um okay, you seem to be sort of playing the same thing over and over. I just had a student yesterday It was just kind of it seemed like he was just repeating himself and you know uh just trying to get him out of his rut you know hmm. that was the that was the that was the crux of the lesson uh so every person's different. it's like being a therapist you know you just you know the they they come in and they play something and you look and listen and then off you go and see what issues come up and see where you can try to be helpful that's that's how I look at it and uh uh teaching is is rewarding you know it's 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 definitely a rewarding thing to do and, and uh, I've done it for a long time and you know,
0: I, I I enjoy it. Yeah, I want to, let's jump around here a little bit. Um, one of the things I was hoping to have you talk about today that I've picked up from you over the years is what I'll, I will refer to as the Fred Hirsch gig filter. I think it's important for other musicians listening to this to understand how you think about taking a gig or not taking a gig. And you often talk about there's three primary reasons for doing one. If you don't mind, I thought it would be great to ask you about that and have you share it. Um, what, what are your three primary reasons for doing a gig?
1: Well, the the first reason is it's something that you would do uh, that's creative uh, or playing with somebody that you've always wanted to play with or playing a place you've always wanted to play or something that would make it almost something you would do for free. Uh you know, uh, playing with somebody where you could learn something from them, uh, 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 something that would help you grow. So a creative reason is, is number one. You know, it's going to stretch you. Uh, it's, it's going to challenge you.
0: Uh,
1: and then a, a second reason would be that it's, you know, something that would be advancing your career, whether that's Playing at a prestigious festival, or in the old days uh, touring an album, which people don't quite do anymore. The business has changed, um, and of course, the third reason would be financial. Uh, and uh, you know, a great gig is all three: it's creative, it's it's good for your career, and it pays well. Uh, so that's that, but you know, there's kind of got to be two out of three, generally speaking. Uh, obviously, right. unless it's super lucrative, and then, then then that's usually a good enough reason.
0: Yeah, I think that's so great. It's such a it's such a simple way to take what could be an abstract coming to you in the form of an offer in an email or whatever. It's such a great way to kind of think about it and answer those questions. And um, I know that uh, – I'm sure other people listening who wonder sometimes should I do this should I not do this if they think about it in those three ways is this creatively important is this going to advance my career and uh, financially does this make sense if you just think about it in those three ways I think it would solve a lot of pain for people
1: <laughs> right exactly exactly it's um, it's, a, it's a good it's a good uh way to kind of ask yourself what's the right
0: decision right well Correct me if I'm wrong, but next year twenty nineteen, that this will mark is this the tenth anniversary of your current trio? Yes. Yes. Ten years. And so for those who don't know, that's with John Haber on bass and Eric McPherson on drums. And you guys have had the opportunity to record a handful of amazing and Grammy nominated albums. Um seven, seven, you've performed albums. seven albums. Seven albums. And yeah. you guys have performed all over the world. What is it about these guys in particular that continues to challenge and inspire you?
1: Well, they're, I mean, of course, amazing musicians. Uh, John has one of the best sounds uh, among bass players, in my opinion, uh, on the scene today. Um, uh, Eric is just a magician with percussive colors and you know, he never plays anything in a cliched way. He finds a really personal way to play, you know, a calypso or a very personal play way to play a particular tune. He's a problem solver. He likes to, you know, not do the expected thing. And <clears throat> also, you know, our sounds are so compatible. Um, Eric, when we play, he never uses a, uh, a stage monitor, so he always plays to the dynamic of the piano that he has to hear acoustically, so he's always at the right volume. Um, John is, you know, super creative, but also is a real uh, student of the tradition uh, when it comes to really just, you know, playing uh, jazz harmony and knowing substitute chords, and, you know, he's he's really done his homework. And so... this this group i you know I don't think that there are many trios out there that play quite the range of music that we play uh my own compositions are really rangey, and the things that we cover are also really uh diverse um, uh, you know I mean I'm, there are trios certainly that 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 do that, but I'd say we're definitely one of them and uh so i' i really uh just in and i enjoy them as people you know we have uh uh it's really they're they're great on the road and and uh even if we've had a a you know crazy travel day two planes and no nap and you know just whatever and we're exhausted uh when the lights go up, everybody is really a hundred percent there. Uh, uh, they they have they have road chops, and that's really important. I mean, there's a uh, uh, um, you know you, they just never phone it in. And,
0: uh, yeah, if they, there's, I,
1: I, I want to interject
0: you. here. I mean, if there's any presenters listening to this who has not had a chance to listen to the current album live in Europe, which is Grammy nominated let me know send me an email i will send you a link to stream it because having take advantage of um, hearing what fred is talking about now in this conversation and listen to the music and i can obviously i'm biased but i can totally attest to the relationship you have with eric and, and john as it relates to the relationship with you have that you have with the piano there is a special chemistry i mean there really is there's the, the touch that both of them have on their instruments as it complements yours, um, and as the three of you interact, it's really, you really can't put it into words. I mean, that's why, uh, we're constantly trying to, you know, get you guys in front of the best audiences possible because we know it resonates with people when they hear it, or more importantly, when they hear it live and see it live. Um, you know, it is, it's one of those things where it is almost hard to describe the chemistry on stage. And, so I'm so excited that you guys will be celebrating 10 years soon. And it's such an impressive feat, especially in this type of music where musicians are busy and you have to sub people out and eventually you can't hold on to the same configuration. And I mean, that, that, to me, makes it all the more special.
1: Yeah, it's it's great to have a
0: consistent... I mean, in the last
1: 25 years, I've only had two bass players and three... That's just a lot. You know, <laughs> Two bass players and three drummers. So, yeah,
0: that's yeah, amazing. When
1: I when I find something, I, I, you know, I stick with it. Um,
0: that's amazing. And,
1: and and the the trio, you know, just it still is growing uh, musically. It's 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 constantly surprising. So, um, it is. And to
0: your just to your point about the story with with when you were with, um, I've already forgotten if it was with Stan Getz or Art Farmer. But when you were saying you were feeling. Like you were playing the same thing over and over again and, you know, mm-hmm, having fun, yeah. Had, yeah, having had the opportunity to see you guys for several years now, um, it's always an exciting experience. And, you know, again, uh, this is one of those things where people listening need to take advantage of it. And I should interject here and say people listening to this will be at APAP in a few weeks get your ticket now to the Village Vanguard to see Fred and his trio because it's probably the best place to see them and it always sells out so buy your ticket now. Okay, I've I've said it, my piece on that.
1: It, <laughs> yeah, it's just well it's the greatest club in the world and I I'm lucky yeah. enough to play there three times a year and it's my home base and um <clears throat> the trio will be joined Friday, Saturday, Sunday uh, with the great uh, by uh with the great Miguel Zenón. Uh, the yes. also player who I think is just magnificent and uh plays with feeling and intelligence and um it's it's uh gonna be a very special three nights uh i i'm I'm very excited about it. I've played with Miguel a number of times as a duo, and this is the first time he's gonna play with the trio and I'm sure it's gonna be uh
0: something very special. I'm very much looking forward to seeing it. I'm excited. So in addition to the trio, your your solo piano concerts are some of the most highly coveted in the world of jazz. And you were the first jazz pianist ever to do week-long engagements, solo piano engagements at the Vanguard. What is it about this particular setting that appeals to you so much, and why do you think you've had so much success at it?
1: Um, you know, I've actually made more solo albums than trio albums. It's, um, <clears throat> and I don't know, I think, um, I've always played the full range of the instrument. I think there's a kind of a purity about a sort of a piano recital <clears throat> that's both formal and, of course, spontaneous. Um, it allows me to, uh, also in my multiple duo configurations it allows me to play the piano like a big drum set with 88 pitches you know or or an orchestra (coughs) and uh um yeah i i i guess i'm one of the the solo kind of specialists out there um not that there are not uh many great pianists who who do solo but um, I I was, you know, uh uh encouraged early on by people like uh Cyril and Hannah and and, and others that made me believe that I could really be a, a a a good solo player and I've and I've worked at it. Um when I was very young and just into the music, I mean you when you thought of solo piano there was sort of Keith Jarrett or Cecil Taylor um, opposite, uh, extremes, but, you know, I found, I've kind of found a way to, to, you know, I mean, I'm playing tunes, uh, occasionally open pieces, but, uh, uh, it's a really wide range of, of stuff. And, and I get to, you know, play as quietly as I possibly can. and, and, as full out as i possibly can i have a total dynamic range and uh in color and and uh and feel and uh you know i really i really embrace uh solo uh piano and uh uh some years i do as many solo concerts as i do trio concerts so um and uh Sometimes it's nice. A presenter will have me trio, and then have me back with solo, or vice versa. Um, so that's it's just something, something I, I hope that's a special thing to offer. Um, uh, and, and along with the duo things that I do with people like Anat Cohen and and uh, Julian Lodge and and others. And um, next year an album will come out with Esperanza Spalding. Uh, that we recorded live at the Vanguard, just her singing, which is off the hook, great. Uh, so the idea of, you know, duo, duo playing is is something that's also super fun. And then when they they stop playing, I get to play solo. So, uh, you know, pretty much my configurations are solo, duo, trio, and uh, and occasionally a larger ensemble, but not 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 for a little while. But maybe that'll be something that will that will happen uh,
0: at some point. Yeah, it's it's funny when I think back, kind of over the years we've worked together. I've I've learned a lot from you outside of music as well. Um, you know, for example, we've had several for me really great conversations on meditation, and you at one point recommended the book. Wherever you go, there you are which I've recommended to other people. It's a it's a really good book, especially if you're interested in meditation. I'm curious, when did you first start meditating and I'm and have have you noticed this having an effect on your music? Uh,
1: well, yeah, I mean, I I got into it actually from that book um around uh oh god, it was let's see around 2000 uh uh and I remember ordering cassette tapes that came with that you could guided meditations came with the book and so I just started doing it with these tapes and um a friend of mine was going to the insight meditation society up in Massachusetts he said you want to go to a retreat with me yes I said sure and of course I didn't know what I was in for you know seven days of silence and sitting meditation walking meditation all day and it was one of the more intense experiences in my life and I've been back many times for these retreats, um, and you really learn a lot about yourself. You really see your your tendencies and habits very clearly. Um, um, yeah, I mean, I have fallen off sometimes uh, due to th- things in my life uh, that have prohibited me from uh, meditating, but uh now it's uh you know it's 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 a pretty pretty consistent and important part of of uh of my life and you know the uh you know taking time in the morning to sit before you start your day really you know represents doing something for yourself and also checking in with yourself and and uh kind of seeing where you are and um whatever comes up you know you 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 notice it and it means that during the day you also notice things more you know you got to take it off the cushion and sometimes I'm able to do that sometimes I'm not but you know you you sometimes you can see things before they happen and stop them from happening because uh, you're aware uh you don't get hooked and so uh yeah it's 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 really it's a it's a really uh um great great p- part of my life and i'm i'm grateful to my friend bert Seeger for taking me to
0: that retreat you know mm. it was really a game changer yeah i mean not to dwell on it but for me um what's been really great about it has and something completely unexpected as a result of meditating has been this sense of gratitude and i mm-hmm. think if anybody's listening who has thought about meditating it you know for me now that i've been doing it for a few years it, it just that aspect alone has really changed um a lot for me and i was i would never have expected that um because a lot of people struggle with they try to meditate and they can't silence their mind they they're thinking too many thoughts and they get overwhelmed with everything um but you know once you kind of get into a routine and habit of it and you do start to just listen to your breathing and et cetera, um, I don't know. It's hard to describe, but this this sense of gratitude has just kind of come forth, and and that's been amazing. So, yeah.
1: well, some people you know, must per- perceive that you 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 know you try to turn your mind off. You can't you can't you know your brain's job is to think. And of course, you're going to think. Right. So, but what you have to do is notice what you're thinking about, and then gently let it go, and then go back to the breath, if that's your focus, or hearing can be a focus, or Just the sensation of your body sitting can be the focus. It doesn't have to be the breath. It can be whatever you choose. Uh, But, you know, you're going to wander. It's inevitable. And that's not a bad thing. It's just you kind of got to notice, like, oh, that's planning. And then you kind of label it, and then you go back to to whatever your anchor is. And, uh, um, you know, mindfulness... uh, you know like the 10% happier app which is fantastic for oh, anybody who wants, uh, for anybody who wants to to ch- check out just uh meditating it, you know it's it's of course generally buddhist but it's not um it, it's buddhist principles but it's if, called 10% happier 10% happier it's uh it's a f- fantastic app they have all kinds of Meditations from, you know, five minutes to 30 minutes and, uh, on all kinds of different subjects. And there are uh, some meditation, uh, teachers where you can th- sort of take a little mini course. Um, and when you're, you know, listening, uh, to, uh, somebody guiding you while you're sitting, uh, especially if you're new, it can be very helpful just to have this this gentle instruction um while you're uh uh
0: while you're sitting just it's 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 extremely helpful so that I'm so glad you mentioned it. it I'll definitely download it 10% yeah. happier yeah it's,
1: yeah it's, it's
0: it's great oh nice well last year you released your memoir good things happen slowly and there's a lot of some of the stuff you, we've already touched on is, is in the book, certainly the history you've had with some of these legendary players, your experience on the scene in Cincinnati and Boston and into New York. One of the things I wanted to ask you about it, um, that and, and obviously I have to say for everybody who's listening who hasn't read it, you have to read it. <laughs> it's just an amazing read. It's very, I think it's also very important to the history of this music. Um, to understand Fred's um, part in all this. It's, it's it's huge. But the question I have for you is um, one of the things I learned in the book, which actually isn't necessarily that revolutionary, but it was fascinating to me, is that at one point in your career you were running a recording studio. <laughs> and, you know, I never would have known that uh, unless I had read the book. And so it got me thinking – I'm I'm constantly amazed at how you've approached your career. It's always been a it seems to be it's always been a situation of not sitting still and waiting for opportunities to come to you, but going forward and seeking out opportunities. I guess the question I have is do you consider yourself an entrepreneur or an musician or both? Or do you think about you know, how do you think about that?
1: Um, well, um, you know, the recording studio experience was was a crazy thing to do, and, and ultimately, <laughs> it was, I, I realized I didn't want to be a businessman, that really, I wanted to be a musician, and, and it was just a little overwhelming, and, and, uh, I was living in the studio, which is at the same place that I've lived here in Soho, New York, for 39 years, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I took away, uh, you know, uh, some great things about, how to record and sound and recorded sound and production and uh, that have really helped me. I also met some people through the studio that have been very important in my life that I might not have met otherwise. But it was really kind of a fairly brief chapter of five years in the mid-80s. And, you know, just one night I just decided it's over and that was the end of it, sold everything. And, um, uh but for many years i mean I've had managers on and off uh since the uh uh the n- about nineteen ninety was my first uh, manager and uh but i've you know for many years between managers I've kind of done a lot of stuff myself um and i think that's uh I think it's good for musicians to to do things themselves because then when they are able to get an agent uh, or manager, they'll kind of know, you know, what to expect uh, right. from from that because they've done it themselves. Um, and you know, these days, it's it's uh, it's. It's very difficult sometimes for, I think, very deserving young artists to get representation. It's just kind of, it, it's tough out there. But, uh, and of course, I'm grateful to w- work with you and and Matt Morell and my manager, Brian Farina. And uh, I feel very supported in my career and uh, taken care of. Uh, so um, I think that, you know, certainly there's, there's some business that i will i will always have to do you know there's certain things that only i can take care of you know even with help you know there's certain things that just aren't going to continue to fall to me but uh that's okay i i feel i feel
0: good and i i feel good good about it yeah so a lot of people listening to this you know, the intended audience is presenters, people who have worked with you before, people who we've spoken to you, to them about you before, and maybe people who have never even heard of Reders. So it's an awesome opportunity. What would you like people to know? What, specifically, what would you like presenters to know about your shows and maybe the overall experience that you're trying to create for audiences that they might not already know?
1: Well, I think whether it's solo or trio, I mean, Uh, I think they can expect a very well-paced, well-conceived performance that's going to have variety and some things that are fun and some things that are uh, a little challenging and some things that are something about the way that that we play in front of an audience uh that that uh is uh is is very special um if i'm playing solo you know i don't have anybody on the stage with me but i'm interacting with the piano there i'm interacting with the acoustics of the room and i'm interacting with the people and uh generally speaking with the trio or solo we we don't plan sets we kind of go by feel uh and and that allows us to be uh more uh present with the with the situation with with uh with our audience and with uh how we feel but uh i think one thing that's for sure is there's a very high level of emotional engagement with the music, um, and even if you aren't familiar, uh, you will leave the concert having really felt something, and also having thought something. Um, we, we that's what we aim to do. That's what I aim to do is to is to give the audience an experience that. That they will come away with having been taken somewhere and hopefully, uh, uh, feel something and, and maybe learn something new and, um, you know, be a bit challenged. And, uh, you know, any performance, whether it's solo or trio, there's three groups of music. There's my original music. There's, uh, covers which are not only the great American songbook but pop covers and then there's uh compositions by the great jazz composers, uh Wayne Shorter and Ornette Coleman and in every set there's music by Thelonious Monk. That's a consistent thing in every show. Um so yeah, it's kind of the three food groups and uh <laughs> it's it's uh you know, uh I think it's it's not it 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 doesn't sound schizophrenic. It, I think it, it all you know the the our approach hopefully
0: integrates uh, every everything. Yeah, I, you know, I was thinking about this. I don't think it's an exaggeration for me to say that of all every time I've seen one of your shows, there's always been at least two or more standing ovations. There's always been at least um, you know at least two encores if, if the setting permits it. So I think that says a lot. I mean, I can't say that about all the you know all the other shows I've seen in my life, or, or especially when I've had the chance to see the same artist perform multiple times. I can't say that about them. It's not an exaggeration to say that. So I think a lot of that has to do with what you were saying. You're there's this, you're creating a unique experience for the audience, and you know, let's face it. Over the years, you've had the opportunity to really hone in on the song selection and the, the, the pacing of the program um and the overall show as it were so um you know i i, I can't it. It's a
1: show it. without being a show you know you're, yeah showing
0: sense of, is a there's a theme to the to the um programming you know people are getting this experience that they're not going to get anywhere else yeah that's
1: that's yeah. that's what we go that's that's the goal
0: yeah that's that's good. that's what you guys do. It's so great, so wow, we've covered a lot here, so maybe to wrap up um what has you excited over the next year or so? You mentioned there's uh gonna be an album coming out with Esperanza. I know there's gonna be a lot of uh shows happening. Is there anything else we should yes. mention?
1: Yes, in January, I'm going to clone. Uh, Germany to record an album of my compositions with the WDR big band arranged by the amazing uh, arranger Vince Mendoza um, who is just one of the uh, arrangers period on the scene. Yeah. Uh, That's going to be great. Uh, some some may know him from the amazing albums that he did with Joni Mitchell with Symphony Orchestra her, probably her last two albums uh, that she'll ever make um and uh, uh so we're recording that in January and it's coming out in june, and I'm super excited about that um, We just put out uh uh an album called trio ninety seven uh, of yes. discovered archival recordings. With my trio with Drew Gress and Tom Rainey from the Vanguard, the very first week I played there as a leader in nineteen ninety seven um that just came out uh last week um and uh yeah i mean there's there's a lot of stuff that i i'm I'm excited about
0: a lot of stuff happening well fred this has been this has been an absolute pleasure, and I'm so grateful for your time today and and for your time speaking with me. And I want to mention one more time for everybody listening, if you're in New York City during January 1 through 6, I would highly encourage you to reserve a ticket now at the Village Vanguard to see Fred perform. It's an experience unlike any other, seeing Fred at the Vanguard, and you need to take advantage of it. Great.
1: Well, thanks for that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Fred, thanks again so much for your time today. My pleasure. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye.
1: Bye.